The EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Olya Jordanian, EU Futures Project Coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is February 28. My colleague Toria Rainey and I talk to Chandler Rosenberger, an assistant professor of sociology and international global studies at Brandeis University. Uh, my name is Chandler Rosenberger. I am assistant professor of sociology and international global studies at Brandeis University, and I'm the chair of the International and Global Studies program there. What is the future emerging in Europe? It's a really interesting question for me, um, in part because it uh, <laughs> sometimes seems to be a past that I'm very familiar with, or at least things that we thought had died out in Europe are clearly coming back. And of course, there we're talking about this reemergence of nationalism, and particularly a kind of um, ethnic nationalism that a lot of us thought was gone. Uh, I cut my teeth in Europe, uh, in Central Europe, in the early 1990s. Uh, I went out with the first wave of Americans going to Prague in Central Europe uh, and worked there for the civic-minded politicians who just wanted to join NATO, join the European Union, uh, hold their multinational states together. And of course, that I mean, ultimately they found their way to both the EU and uh, NATO. But um, first we went through a period of really amazingly virulent uh, ethnic nationalism. I was in Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia both and, and, and saw that. Uh, and then it seemed to die down. Some of the issues were settled, uh, countries broke up along reasonable or unreasonable lines, but there seemed to be, in most of them, a kind of consolidation and a consensus about the future. Uh, and now, amazingly, that all seems to be in flux, um, that people are going back to old arguments or new forms of arguments about protecting the, you know, the ethnic character of their countries, uh, turning back to the kind of authoritarian politics that we haven't seen for a long time. Um, it's now, you know, obviously a lot of this is emerging from the pressure of migration, and so the, the questions are different. And some, you know, a lot of the concerns about migration are perfectly legitimate, but they seem to be using this uh, issue as a cudgel to attack a lot of what got built successfully after the 1990s, uh, things like the European Union uh, and NATO, um, and a consensus that there was that Central Europe belonged in this deep connection with the rest of Europe. And that's very worrying. I mean, again, a lot of concerns are legitimate. I understand people who worry that Angela Merkel essentially made a decision for the continent when she decided to welcome a million people to Germany. You know, they, they didn't... They, 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 they trod across a lot of land on their way there and have been uh, in, in lots of countries on their way to Germany. Uh, and that's raised some concerns. But it, that, that alone doesn't account for this sense of malaise in places like Poland and in the Czech Republic, this you know, sense that the, that the consensus that was built after the 1990s wasn't good enough. Um, 
and that people are flirting with turning back towards Russia in some sense, or you know, staking out some kind of self-interested neutrality against the broader interests of the European Union. That's all a little bit creepy, uh, seeing some of this come back. So the future <laughs> looks like, looks like um, it, it seems that people have to make new arguments for what was assumed to be an acceptable status quo. That people have to make new arguments about the importance of uh, tra uh, transcontinental travel, uh, free movement of mi migrate, migrant labor, robust collective defense of the continent, that there has to be a whole new way of imagining thing, these things uh, to refresh and renew those, uh, those institutions. Do you see that nationalism as a threat to democracy? Not necessarily. I mean, uh, this is, I, I probably am different from a lot of people you've interviewed. Uh, in some cases, nationalism is the purest expression of democracy because uh, people want to feel like their voice is heard, they want to feel like they're connected to their political leadership, and they have real concerns about how um, accountable the European Union has been. And so I think that a lot of the uh, suspicion of the European Union is very democratic uh, and, and very healthy. Um, I'm not sure that Brexit is the catastrophe that people say it is. You know, I, um, I, and this is actually interesting. This, this comes from my experience in Central Europe. We, watched, we were watching Czechoslovakia break up. I was literally in Bratislava the day the country became independent, living in my apartment there. And we all thought it was going to be a complete catastrophe. And we thought this is the end of a, end of a stable country. Uh, who knows what sort of ethnic grievances are going to come emerge now. But the fact of the matter is the Czechs and the Slovaks got along a lot better after they were their own <laughs> independent countries and had to take responsibility for themselves. And that was a real lesson for me that you, know, you can't hold people in a political arrangement if they don't feel like they're being respected and uh, and um, and and, in, and they they aren't being able to hold their uh, politicians accountable. So if the British people feel like the European Union wasn't what they wanted, and they voted to leave, then you know who knows? Maybe it lances this boil that's been festering on Europe for you know the past twenty years or thirty years. You know, talking about how the European Union was uh, taking advantage of Britain. You know, now it's not, <laughs> or it won't be as soon as they. Uh, as soon as they actually leave. And that's not necessarily a catastrophe. So in that sense, you know, I think nationalism and democracy can work quite well together. Um, what I worry about is when the nationalism is a particular flavor of ethnic nationalism, where an authoritarian leader says, you mass, you know, you ethnic mass, you historical supranational entity, the Serbs or the Poles or the Hungarians, you know, that you need my protection uh, against uh, uh, threats. And that tends to be ultimately undemocratic because you're no longer treating people as individual citizens with, who, are, who are merely exerting their rights or, or merely uh, demanding that their voices be heard. Now you're treating them like some sort of collection of victims uh, who need... Uh, who need uh, uh, you know, robust defender, some sort of heroic uh, uh, defender. That's what I see in Hungary. I mean, that's what's so depressing about what's going on in Hungary. 
is to see you know, one of the really great democratic movements uh, of the 1990s, Fidesz, uh, turn into a kind of, uh, a kind of um, vehicle for this utterly undemocratic sentiment that you know, Viktor Orban and his friends must protect the Hungary, the, the you know, millennial, millennia old Hungarian nation from this, you know, from these, these terrible outside threats. Then it becomes very undemocratic. How do you see these nationalistic trends in Western Europe, Western Europe, in France, in the Netherlands? How different they are from, I mean, this experience you describe in Eastern Europe is so very interesting especially given the rise of ethnic nationalism. So how do you see it different, developing differently in Western Europe or maybe similarly? Well, that's, I mean, that's why I emphasize the differences with the Brexit case, because I do think Britain's different. Um, I, I think you know, the British have 800 years of democracy. They know how to do this. Uh, they're not going to become nasty ethnic nationalists overnight. You know, they have a sense of a civic identity and and um, and and even you know immigration and assimilation into a into a common British culture. They're, I don't think they're racists. I don't think they're xenophobes. You know, they they the, the slogan of Brexit was take control, and you know, there they go. Uh, <laughs> um, I I don't know the French and the Dutch case as well. Um, certainly, France has traditionally been um, a civic nation. You know. D- doesn't always live up to its expectations, but it has been a country where people who you know, immigrate and assimilate you know, are, at least you know, in theory, they have the, all the same rights and opportunities as everybody else. And, and there's a kind of French identity that doesn't depend on an idea of an ethnic stock. And I think the Dutch are the same way too. What I worry about is that we're seeing something different, which is a kind of loose talk about the threat that Islam poses to these countries and that that might undermine this robust individualism and civic society uh, if you begin treating people you know, um, according to a category uh, and, and, and lose that fine-grained sense of individual rights. Um, I don't think it'll become ethnic. I mean, who are the ethnic Dutch? You know, I don't know. Uh, and I don't, th- I, as far as I know, there aren't, you know, great myths about the you know, triumphant med- medieval Dutch kings in the way you find in a place like Serbia. Um, so in that sense, I think they're, they, they don't have the same political culture. Um, with France, you always have to wonder um, because obviously... The French themselves have this robust civic identity. They're committed to the French Revolution as a, uh, and, and all of its civic ideals. But there is there is there are those trends from the 1930s, and there is this kind of there what there were enough people fascinated by fascism in France uh, that even if it doesn't become particularly ethnic, it might be nasty and authoritarian. Um, I'm thinking of uh, people like Sorel, uh, who created a a, a celebration of um, myth and collective will that could that 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 might still be percolating in French life. Uh, I see a little bit of that in in Le Pen. Again, not not explicitly ethnic, not explicitly racist, 
but a fascination with the grandeur of the collective will of France that can take a bad turn. It's the European identity, the power actually, to kind of stop this rise of ethnic nationalism across, I mean, let's say across Eastern Europe, as, an, as something an opposite of uh, ethnic nationalism, I mean, the European mm. identity, which goes beyond this ethnic narrative. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I think the way you phrase the question is interesting because I think that it does have to be a cultural and intellectual exercise. You know, they tried building Europe from the ground up with institutions like coal and steel and, and um, this complicated constitution, sort of assuming that people would then uh, grow to respect the state. Um, this European state. Uh, and that was entirely backwards. I mean, that's just not the way states form. That's not, that's not the way na nations form. Nations form as uh, collective identities that satisfy people's desire to feel like they have a place in the world. And then you build all the instru instruments of the state to make that collective identity work, or to make that, that society work. Um, but you can't start with the you know, the steel beam and girders, you have to have an architect, you know, you have, you have to have an idea of what it is you're trying to build, what, what, who is in and who is out, you know, in that community and why they're all together. Uh, and maybe this is an opportunity for Europeans to think more about what are the cultural and intellectual roots of our common project, you know, what, what is our society really about? And if you get people thinking that way, uh, it could be really healthy. You know, if you get the Dutch to think about you know, how much they have in common uh, culturally and intellectually with their fellow Europeans and, and, you know, the things that they want to share, the things they want to protect, then, then the European Union becomes a means by which to protect a society that people believe in rather than an instrument imposed on people from above. Um, and I think that's fascinating work. I mean, I think, I think it's challenging work. It, it has to be democratic. You, know, you have to get out there and make the case. Uh, out in the hustings, uh, you have to make write great speeches and you know make beautiful films and and sort of capture people's imagination again with the beauty of this project. Um, but I think but I think it's better than just hammering out paragraphs of the Constitution all the time. I mean I think that's actually that would be a valuable thing to do uh, to engage with Europe that way. That's the Europe I believe in. You know I I that that's the. The sense that we had in Eastern Europe when our friends were trying to get into the European Union, they didn't want to get in because of the agricultural subsidies or the, you know, the, me the mechanisms of the EU. They wanted to feel like they were coming home. They wanted to feel like they're, they're, you know, that Prague was a city that was in natural conversation with the rest of Europe. And the more people can reawaken that, I think, you know, the healthier the future of Europe would be. What role do you think the rise in extremes of either the left or the right play into that? Um, I mean, maybe maybe extremes scare people enough that they reconsider. Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, you know, in 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 Holland, you know, does does I I I have to believe that there are an awful lot of Dutch who look at somebody like Gerd Wilders and just think he's a he, he's a they see the thuggishness of it, you know, and that, and, and that, the, and the, and that 
it strikes them as not something they want to be a part of. You know, I think I think that I think that the extremes might remind us all where the center is. Um, so I actually I we'll see what happens. You know, voters will speak and and uh, uh, their will will be known. But but I I'm actually not as afraid of somebody like Gerd Wilders taking power. I, I think the Dutch are. They have. They know where the they know where that moderate center is, and so maybe these extremes will remind them of that. Um, and then on the left, it's interesting because so much because with this populism, so much of it is beyond categories of right and left. Exactly. You know, there's a, I think a, a suspicion of capitalism, a suspicion of international institutions as some sort of capitalist conspiracy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the Five Star Movement in Italy. You know, is it right or is it left? You know, a lot of it's kind of left, some of it's right. Um, uh, but maybe we just need to give people the chance to remember what is the what is that good and moderate center, wherever it's coming, wherever the challenge is coming from. So, what do you think? What's the role of citizens? Let's say also particularly the young people. We're gonna actually be the ones living in a future <laughs> in Europe. Yeah. What's their role in influencing processes going on at the EU level? Um, As once we were discussing beyond beyond participating in elections. Yeah, yeah I mean uh, that's interesting um, because I really believe in elections. I mean I think part what well, one of the problems that's happened is that the young check out um, and then uh, the extremes sort of trash everything they want. So I really want them to vote. You know, I want people to be involved in party politics. And in fact, I would want them to be involved at the local level in order to cut their teeth and gain a, and gain, um, a, a sense of a community and a, um, and, and a sense of respect that the, you know, that the older generation uh, seems to have forfeited. I mean, one of the things that really strikes me about these populists is that there is the celebrification of politics. Um, you know, the idea that you speak loudly enough, you shout loudly enough, you say the most extreme things, uh, and you gather this kind of thuggish horde behind you and uh, and uh, rampage your way through the ballot box. Um, and actually, I would ask the young to abandon that model. And to go back to things like city councils, uh, and to go back to things like school boards and um, regional parliaments, and build up restoring that sense of trust between themselves and their electorate, so that when it comes time to move up to the European level, they aren't these thuggish populists. They're people with a sense of responsibility to their community, and whom the community respects as as responsible leaders. Um, so maybe maybe not maybe maybe you know thinking locally to act europeanly ultimately um but but i i really hope this generation gets back in the political trenches and holds their um it and shows that the civil service and the bureaucracy can be accountable to elected people i'd love to see 20 year old mayors of small towns you know not 20 30 year old mayors <laughs> of small towns uh Yeah, who who restore that sense of responsible politics in their communities. If you were given a platform to reach either the EU community, um, Europe as a whole, or the global community, what would your 
call to arms be to enact this sort of change? I think a lot of what I just said, which is to bring a real sense of responsibility back to politics, um, a sense of moderation, a sense of a connectedness with voters, um, uh, to relieve them of some of these anxieties about uh, about unelected or un- unaccountable officials. Just get out there, you know, and show people that the world is not the big conspiracy theory they think it is. And to prove that in action. And I really believe that. I mean, I, there's nothing I hate more than conspiracy theory. Um, you know, it drains all of us of responsibility. It makes us all feel powerless. You know, I used to serve, when I, when I, I used to work at BU, and uh, I served on the school board uh, over in Chelsea, the, the, the BU community that ran the schools over in Chelsea. And honestly, that sounds very parochial, that sounds very local, but it was one of the most important experiences I've ever had for thinking on a grander scale, which is just to see you know, how, how important responsible local politics is to the, you know, to, to the, to, to the it being a training ground for uh, future careers, to uh, actually reminding people of where the votes lie, of where the, where, the specific interests of the people you're trying to serve and and the, the the danger of conspiracy theories and the danger of these populist threats uh, is that they gut our politics of all of that. They destroy that. They say they're fighting for people. They're not. They're destroying the relationship to people that good, responsible, you know, civic-minded people have to try to rebuild. Uh, so <laughs> it's incredibly boring. But I would say you know get out there and run for city council. You know take your city back. Take your you show that your community is not the victim of conspiracies the way everyone says it is. You talked a little bit about the kind of Europe you would l- like to see, you would imagine in future. But once again, if you, <laughs> if you can tell us, what kind of Europe would you like to see in future? I actually would like to see a kind of... I'd like to see a more decentralized Europe. Um, I, I'm, I really believe in a Europe of the nations. I mean, that's part of this political accountability, this sense of um, political accountability. You know, that the, as I said, the Slovaks and the Czechs get along much better having broken down all the machinery that held them together and trading and cooperating, you know, through common interests and common concerns. And I think maybe it really is time to think about that huge architecture in Brussels and, and really scale it back, you know, to recognize that not everything has to be done by a mandate through Brussels, uh, and turn a lot of this back over to the Democratic politicians. I think that would be the nationally elected or locally elected Democratic politicians. I think I think that would just be healthy for everyone. You know, to recognize that we're in a stage now where conspiracy theory and um, EU aggrandizement are feeding off each other, and step back from step back from it to build a more locally accountable Europe. Because you know it's the it, it's the age of the internet. It's the it's the it's a lot of the cooperation among states has been very successful in Europe. Uh, the sheer fact that the most successful EU instruments, like the Council of Ministers, are themselves national or, or, or rooted in national politics, ought to tell us something. You know, the parts of the EU that work really well are the parts where you know, somebody who is elected within his or her own country 
then participates in European institutions because you know, they're accountable. You know, they know that somebody's waiting to hit, to, you know, to ambush them at a town hall meeting when they get back home, uh, and so they, and so they, they have that sense of responsibility, and and the more of that, the better. You know, the more locally elected, nationally elected politicians who take uh, control of, of, of or, or, or participate in European common life, the better. Uh, that's the way to to you know, make your way between these two extremes. Is there anything we didn't ask you about, but you have thoughts, views you want to share? Um, I, think, I think the only thing I would, I would say is I'd like to see more of a and I'd like to see more interest in the United States in the fate of Europe. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the turn to Asia and a lot of talk about rising powers in Asia. I'm fascinated by it too. I'm learning Mandarin now. I'm, you know, on my way to China in two months. You know, I think it's I think it's a really interesting place. But but with all and, and hugely important for the future. But but we somehow during the Obama years and possibly with Trump as well, we've lost that transatlantic sense of. Um, of cooperation and mutual respect. And I'd, I'd like to see that restored. I really hope that gets rebuilt. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was thank an you. interesting conversation. Oh, thank you for your questions. It was really fun. Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C.